You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The case of David Reimer is a complicated one. Throughout his short life, he was known by three different names, Bruce, Brenda, and finally, David. His first name, Bruce, was the one given to him at birth. The second, Brenda, was the name given to him after a botched circumcision as an infant that led his parents to John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, to meet with famed sexologist Dr. John Money. Worried that the irreparable damage to young Bruce's genitals would cause issues for him as an adult, Money offered the Rhymers another option. Have doctors perform sex reassignment surgery on Bruce and raise him as a girl. Money believed that a person's gender identity was a learned thing and, moreover, that they could be taught to identify differently than their biological sex. When the Rhymers explained their predicament, it seemed as if the perfect opportunity to test this theory had fallen right into Money's lap. So the Rhymers followed his suggestion. Bruce underwent sex reassignment surgery at a young age, and the Rhymers began calling their child Brenda, providing Brenda with estrogen supplements and encouraging more traditionally feminine behaviors. However, the truth became increasingly more difficult to hide as Brenda grew up and eventually, when they were 14, their parents told them the truth. It was then that Brenda made the life-changing decision to live as a male and chose his third and final name, David. Sadly, however, even with this new name, David wouldn't last long. Money had declared his experiment to be a success, but the reality was the exact opposite. David Reimer had never felt comfortable as Brenda, and even after he learned the truth and embraced who he truly was, the damage was done, and the story, unfortunately, ended in tragedy. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Austin Harvey. And I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. Today, we're exploring the tragic story of David Reimer. How much do you know about this from ahead of time? Have you heard of this before, or like written anything on the site about it? Or, um, you know, I think one of the very first articles I ever freelance edited for this site was this article, oh, but really? it was like years oh, ago. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, when, when yeah. it was when it was pitched that we would do this, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that story because I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, because uh, this came up when I was working on a post about psychological experiments mm. and I was so like captivated by this story for what it is but also how it can tie into like the modern day discussion around gender and sex identity and just what that entails and yeah yeah kind of a weird parallel a lot there yeah not to beat around the bush uh too much here but 
it's going to get a little complicated with the names and the pronouns as well. So I'm going to try my best <laughs> to like keep it what it should be. Yeah. So David Reimer, born on August 22nd, 1965 to Janet and Ron Reimer. Uh, they were a rural teenage couple from Winnipeg, Canada. They actually had two sons uh, named Bruce and Brian. Bruce would later go on to become David. Mm-hmm. And they were twins. Uh, they were twin brothers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jen and, Jen and Ron, just like a little background on them, they were Mennonites, um, or at least of Mennonite descent, and they just married like eight months prior to this. I think they were really young too, weren't they? Yeah. They were a young couple, happened. like just married for less than a year. Um, they married the December of 1964. Wow. So, yeah, they were not, um, not that they were unprepared to be parents because I, I, as far as I'm aware, they wanted to have children, but they were maybe a bit in over their heads for what this would end up being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, both the boys, Bruce and Brian, they're born perfectly fine. But a couple months later, um, about six months after they were born, doctors noticed that both the boys were having trouble urinating. And they diagnosed them with phimosis, which is just a condition that prevents foreskin from retracting, which obviously causes urination issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two months after that, doctors said, hey, if you, maybe the solution to this is to circumcise your children. And Janet and Ron said, OK. And they took the boys in. Uh, the doctors took Bruce in first. Doctor was named Jean-Marie Huo. Uh, Huot? One of those two has got to be right. Huo? Huo? It's, it seems French Canadian. Jean-Marie Huo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Went with this really bizarre unconventional method of circumcision which was electrocauterization mm-hmm. basically just like electrically burning the foreskin off yikes i don't know why that decision was made i don't think the parents knew that was going to happen either i think they were they really surprised know. yeah that was just the doctor's order on that one um yeah it's a really strange decision to make yeah i don't know i'm not sure what the i know nothing about this procedure but maybe because the the babies were like older they thought it would be maybe i couldn't find any quote or anything from the actual doctor saying oh yeah this is why i decided to do it this way and um, i'm sure that they didn't want to speak on it because the surgery went horribly wrong Mm. and uh resulted in permanent damage beyond surgical repair to bruce's penis and they obviously uh, janet and ron at that point were like not going to have brian go in and undergo the same procedure Right. And the kind of bitter irony to that is then that Brian's phimosis cleared away without any need for surgery. Right. Yeah. That's so, kind of a crazy part. They just did nothing. Yeah. It would have been, right. been okay. Right. So, yeah. So, Brian was fine. Bruce was now damaged beyond repair. And then Janet and Ron Reimer were basically faced with this other issue of, okay, well, uh, our son is now... I don't want to use, I don't want to say disfigured, but effectively disfigured for mm-hmm. life. Um, so they were worried about how that could impact Bruce's future happiness, how, whether or not he'd be able to function sexually as an adult. Um, and around this same time, this American psychologist slash sexologist, Dr. John Money, was kind of making a name for himself in the field of sex research. Money 
and endocrinologist uh, Claude Midgen. They worked together. They established the John Hopkins Gender Identity Clinic. John Money was the guy who first coined the terms gender role and sexual orientation, which replaced the outdated term sexual preference. Um, he was kind of one of like the first people to really argue sexual attraction is not a choice. It's not a, it's not a preference. It's it's just what it is. Your orientation. Yeah. I think he's one of the most interesting parts of this story because yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, he, he, small spoiler, spoiler, because a bit of a villain in this story, but he was in his day, like seen as sort of like as really brilliant. He wasn't like this hokey doctor who, right? Yeah. You know, he, he, these terms, gender role, gender identity, were like, we still use them today and they've shaped our understanding. Yeah. They were very groundbreaking for their time because, I mean, that was however many stories of people who were, you know, in the closet because they, People viewed being gay as a choice and didn't understand how that worked. Um, so, yeah, definitely yeah. ahead of his time in many ways and then very controversial in right. many other ways. Uh, ironically, he was ahead of his time when it came to like trans people, because he was like, if you if you're, you know, someone who thinks who believes strongly that you're a different gender, then he was like, I believe that I believe you. And that that was rare. At the time. Yeah, I know a lot of his early studies also focused on um, people who are intersex mm-hmm. more so than trans. The Again, a little bit of a spoiler for where the story is going. The interesting thing about what happened in the Reimer situation was effectively him trying to prove that you can teach gender identity to somebody. You can uh, enforce a gender identity on somebody. And he was dramatically proven wrong in that yeah. instance. Nature versus nurture and like gender uh gender roles are taught by society and are separate from your internal gender identity yeah right and he also uh kind of drew that division line between what gender is and what sex is which is still an ongoing conversation uh what six almost 60 years later so his research his early work I think is commendable. Um, but this story, yeah, as you said, he is kind of <laughs> the villain in this story. Yes. Um, yeah. The Rhymers ended up writing him and basically begging him for help because they didn't know who else to turn to. And uh, again, he was making such a big name for himself in the field of, uh, I, I don't know how you gender psychology. Yeah. yeah. Sexology is Sex- that a term? Uh, he, um, they call him a sexologist, but I don't know right. if that's technically medically accurate or not. But I mean, the parents that just saw him on TV and they were like, oh, my God, he might be the solution we're looking for. Yeah. Right. And surprisingly, he actually did respond to them. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not surprisingly, but yeah, he responded um, and basically was like, yeah, let me meet with you. Let's talk. Let's figure out what we can do about this. And so they went. Um, they came to America to meet with him. And his suggestion was to have baby Bruce undergo sex reassignment surgery Mm -hmm. and then to raise him as a girl, rename him Brenda and provide him hormone treatments and basically see what happened, whether or not they could (laughs) convince their son that he was their daughter. Right. I mean, the idea, I guess, was that he thought 
the child would be happier as a girl, right? Given the damage that had been done. So yeah, and I think that was the motivation. He thought because I mean because of the age, because Bruce was less than a year old, he was of the opinion that you're kind of you didn't really start to like create an identity for yourself until you were about like two years old. Mm -hmm. Right. So anything up until that point, if you're able to do this surgery enough or early enough, um, if you're able to convince or what's the word I'm looking at, if you're able to like plant those seeds early enough, then it shouldn't matter later on. Right. Because he thought it all came from outside influences. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, The one thing I thought was really interesting, too, was like, so they had Bruce undergo an orchiectomy, which removed his testicles. But then uh, John Money was also suggesting that they go undergo surgery to create an artificial vagina. And the Rhymers actually refused that surgery. Hmm. I Again, I don't know why, just, but it's an interesting note there. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so they also worked out an agreement with John Money that they would regularly meet with him uh, and bring in Brian and Brenda so that he could observe the way each of them were growing up and see what differences there were, what similarities there were, whether or not his experiment effectively was uh, going to be successful. Yeah, it seemed like a perfect test case to him to have twins and have one of them, twin boys, and one of them raised female and one raised male. Yeah. To be fair to him, it wasn't that unethical of an idea. I think it's like easy to look back now with some context and say, "Mm." it's not like he took two twin baby boys and then they were both not having an issue and then made this surgery happen. Like the parents were already looking for this solution to a problem that they were worried about. Yeah. So it's not entirely like villainous in that regard. Right. I found I was reading his obituary in the New York Times and another doctor said, he said, given what the field knew at the time, money made the right call about what to do. It's easy in hindsight to say it was wrong, but I would have done the same thing. So, yeah, you're right. They, he was kind of he had his own right. ideas, obviously, but he was also kind of working within this um, within his like era. Yeah. And some uh, some of his methodology was bizarre and weird. Um, yeah. And which we'll, we'll get into in a bit. But yeah, yeah, I don't entirely blame his way of thinking here, mm-hmm. especially when you consider how new all of this was at the time and how much uh, our understanding of it changes every day now still. Right. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Skipping ahead a little bit, so John Money met with them uh, basically up until they were about 12 or 14, early teenage years. Um, mm-hmm. So from the time they were infants till then, they were regularly meeting with him. 
And then he would later go on to publish a report on the Reimer twins in which he declared his experiment a complete success, writing, uh, quote, that Brenda was certainly the more dominant of the twins and much neater than Brian. He said the girl already preferred dresses to pants, enjoying her hair in ribbons, bracelets and frilly blouses and loved being her daddy's little sweetheart. Throughout childhood, her stubbornness and the abundant physical energy she shares with her twin brother and expends freely have made her a tomboyish girl, but a girl nonetheless. Hmm. Uh, and then it was very shortly after that that he was uh, basically proven completely wrong. But before we get to that, I just some of the methods he went over, um, some of the criticisms levied against him, I guess, as Brenda Reimer was raised under the, quote, optimum gender rearing model, which is very common for sex and gender socialization in intersex youth. But it has been criticized as sexist and for enforcing an arbitrary gender binary, which, again, maybe speaks more to the times than anything else. Do you know any more what that means exactly? The optimum gender rearing model, like the way money was talking about. Wearing her hair in ribbons and bracelets and frilly, frilly blouses. Frilly blouses. Um, that's what that means. Researcher, uh, researchers sought to maximize intersex children's potential for a quote-unquote normal gender identity by trying to make, e make each child's body and upbringing as consistent as possible. Um, so basically, they would make young children or children who were born intersex, uh, they would quote-unquote normalize them with surgery mm -hmm. so that would uh be reducing the size of a clitoris uh creating a vagina moving a working urethra removing healthy organs that make sex hormones basically operating on young children to not have them grow up intersex but to conform them to one of two established at the time sexes um and then reinforcing that behavior throughout the life. So sort of what John Money was doing with um, David Reimer, but more so like for intersex children. Mm -hmm. So basically, basically making sure their physical body fits some. Yeah. Our idea paradigm of and then, male or mm -hmm. female or the general idea at the time of male or female. I see. And then raising them that way. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah, not basically not allowing for intersex youth. Yeah. Because. I see. That would be more difficult to deal with, I guess. But then things got weird with money. <laughs> yeah. So I like that's more of a general criticism. Again, I think kind of just indicative of the time, like male, female, intersex, trans was all very it wasn't literally wasn't talked about at the time. Um, mm -hmm. It was all very hush hush. But yeah. So some of the other methods are a little less hard or wait, a little harder to defend and contextualize looking back. And these are things that that uh, Bruce and or not I say David and his brother claimed David and Brian. Later. Yeah. 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 David and Brian claimed later on. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, David and Brian would both later say that when they turned six, John Money began showing them pornography and then forcing them to rehearse sexual acts. Oof. According to a biography of David Reimer written by John Collab. Written by Colapinto? John Colapinto, uh, John Money would have David get down on all fours and make Brian come up behind him and place his crotch 
against his brother's buttocks. Oh, my God. It's like wrong on so many levels. It's like they're brothers, right. or, you know, twins and then children, children. And he's in a position of power. Just ugh, just right. bad on every every angle. It's bad. That's what I mean. Like, I don't understand the justification he made for this. But then, like, that's not an of the times thing. That's just making children act out sexual acts. Well, and showing them pornography. Right. That doesn't have anything to do with not gender identity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just seems like they would be, at six, just too young to even really understand what they were seeing. Right. I mean, they probably... How old are you now when you learn about sex? Like 12, maybe? It depends, I guess. I don't but know. They, yeah, in they school, taught it in my yeah. school in like sixth grade. They introduced it and then we comprehensively dove in into it in high school. I know that's not the case everywhere, but... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I've heard like stories no, I, about <laughs> what sex ed, you yeah. know, what it is in some places and it's like not or just what very it isn't. silly. Yeah. What it isn't, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't even think at six you have the capability to comprehend what sex even is, so... I yeah, whatever. Um. Yeah, it's hard to defend. I mean, it's like it feels impossible to defend. And I wonder if this was out of some, I don't know, very yeah. unmedical things he was doing or if he had some sort of justification in his head that like this would. I think the idea was that he always put David in the female position. Uh huh. So like uh, there's another instance here. Um, Money had David lay down with his legs spread and then put Brian on top of him. So Brian enacting the traditional male role with David acting out the traditional. Fe- I'm, I, I'm trying to say this in a way that's like, is <laughs> not yeah, misogynistic yeah. as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, he did take photographs of them in these positions on at least two, at least one occasion, which is <laughs> a, a problem. Yeah. Really disturbing. Super disturbing. Yeah, they would. And then David and Brian both later said that when their parents were around, Dr. Money would act very like mild mannered and calm. And then every time they left and he was alone with the kids, he would just be like nasty and yelling and really like ill tempered Hmm. and controlling. And then, it, like, I, every, it's just everything just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, he really. He also makes them strip naked for, quote unquote, genital inspections, <sighs> where he would make them inspect each other's genitals and then yell at them if they didn't. Man. Which we're crossing into really dangerous territory now. Yeah, crossing a lot of lines. Um, yeah. I wonder if, if other patients of his ever came out with anything. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't know either. It'd be something interesting to look into because Mm -hmm. I can't imagine just given the nature of his work that these were the only two kids who ever felt like he crossed a line. Right. But David's case is so rare that it could have been right a a one off type thing if he mostly he worked with like adults for example or I don't know. Yeah. I mean I I, like I I know he did a lot of work with like intersex children Mm -hmm. but I don't know if it would have required him to do the same degree of like intimate study right and also he had like a stake in this because he wanted to prove a certain he wanted to prove his theory right right? that this was a a nature or nurture not nature thing yeah that you could teach somebody to be one gender right yes yeah um here is the little statement of his that i found that is his way of (laughs) rationalizing it uh 
he said that, quote, childhood sexual rehearsal play at thrusting movements and copulation was important for a healthy adult gender identity. Hmm. I don't know hmm. if I agree with that. Well, I could see how that could be true, but it seems like an adult shouldn't be like involved in that. Right. And I mean? also like not kids do things twin that, siblings. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But to have someone telling you what to do and showing you things and asking you to like or yelling at you to be in certain positions. Right. That part seems Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. I mean it's natural for kids to be curious and to <laughs> I hate talking about this. <laughs> it's natural for kids to be curious and to like explore their own bodies and whatever. That's mm-hmm. that's life. But yeah, you're right. It's another thing to have it be conducted by another outside adult influence yeah right especially someone who's like a doctor and you know he has such power over them right um, and, and how much the f- they could do to resist and then he's yelling at them the whole time too so it's not like a no kid likes to get yelled at it's not a, yeah well you're so young you're starting you they meet money when they're what like one or two right and then he's just there's you don't have the tools to push back against that at that age right and their parents were young too so it's not like like they were just as not just but they were influenced very easily by him yeah absolutely this big important doctor you know he's gonna save your child right and that's yeah if that's what you think and then again they're not seeing most of this either they're just kind of dropping the kids off yeah which i i mean i don't I think a lot of people like retroactively blamed the parents for a lot of this. And I don't because of the times and because of them being young and like they just wanted well, I, they wanted to do what they thought was best. And it just happened to yeah. not work out that way. I think parents today, you know, you trusted a doctor, someone who's, you know, you believe knows more than you and is doing the right thing. Um, I think most people would would easily trust that and not question it. Right. Yeah. Um, naturally, both David and Brian later said that they were traumatized by this quote unquote therapy that they underwent. And then the other thing I think makes a lot of sense in it, but it's a really interesting part of the story is just the the effect that this lie effectively, right, mm-hmm. was having on the rest of the family because the parents felt horribly guilty about yeah. the fact that they were hiding the truth of like, hey, you were actually born our son they're hiding that from both their sons. And then like uh, they, it, it caused like problems for all of them. Like the parents get divorced or no, wait, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Well, I mean, David was like really depressed and like yeah. horrified and he was reacting in a way as a, a young child. He was rebelling against this, this female gender. He, yeah, this imposed gender, this imposed gender. He, he, even as a young child, like he was not, he, he was pushing back against it. He felt like it right. was wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, even in his report, John Money described, quote, Brenda as tomboyish. Mm-hmm. And I know David experienced a lot of bullying at school because as a girl, he had very masculine features and characteristics and traits that that obviously led to bullying um, back in 1970s elementary America. <laughs> Yeah, and didn't he, like, didn't they try to put him in a dress and he, like, tore it off or something? Yeah, there were a lot of instances of that. Like, that's what I mean. The report was just blatantly lying. It was like, oh, he shows a fondness for, or 
she shows a fondness for dresses and is very much likes being daddy's little girl. And it's just like, that's just not true. You have this kid who's like horribly depressed, doesn't feel comfortable in the skin they're being put in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that so when they were 14 or when they were 13, David told their parents that he would kill himself if they took him to see John Money again because he hated going to the therapy so badly. Yeah. It's I think when your child, when your 13 year old child tells you that, that's something most parents pay, pay attention to. And they, right. they did. Yeah. And then a year later, they told their children the truth. And from what I read, that was just like a moment where everything clicked for David, mm -hmm. where he was like, oh, my, well, that makes so much sense that I don't feel comfortable in dresses. That's why I don't like want to do all these like traditionally girly things that like I'm being told I have to do. Yeah, he had this angst and then suddenly there was like a reason why it wasn't him. It was this and how strange it must be to be someone who who grew up the way he did and then have someone have your parents tell you that you were living in sort of a constructed world. Right. And I think that's where that um optimum gender rearing model starts to really play into this a lot too. Mm -hmm. Cuz <laughs> it's so nuanced um if you're if you're pushing all of these like traditionally feminine behaviors and things on a child regardless of that child's gender and they just straight up don't like it it's like i don't like playing with dolls but you have to play with dolls because you're a girl mm -hmm. or like i want to play baseball no only boys play baseball it's like one from a modern perspective we know that's just not true like obviously girls and boys can enjoy sports just as much yeah. Um, pink doesn't necessarily mean that you're a girl because like it's just a color. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was all of those like ideas of the time that we have to like really. So it's not even so much that David was being exposed to like feminine things. I, I think a lot of it was just being exposed to things that he didn't enjoy and yeah, probably and discouraged from pursuing things that would have made him happier regardless of his gender. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like girls can wear pants, you know, but you couldn't in that day and time. It's like it's almost like the twins who one's a boy and one's a girl and the girls always told, no, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. But for David, I think it was an even stronger thing because. Yeah. Any traditionally male characteristics or interests he would have shown were discouraged. Was, right. Because it I'm was sure it, it was like the lie, the construction of the lie was so faulty and like all it yeah. took was like that one strong gust of wind to blow it over mm -hmm. and so like yeah any masculine behaviors that came out or like again speaking of the times not my opinion yeah but yeah any of those things that he would have shown they were like no 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 we got to stifle that because if all of a sudden you start to connect with these boyish things well that might bring the walls crumbling down and we you might realize we've been lying to you. Yeah. And I'm sure for his parents, it was, there was a lot of like guilt and anxiety about that. So of course yeah. they would react strongly toward, uh, toward him, any inclination of his to like try to be more traditionally masculine. Yeah. I mean, I know the parents, I want to say the dad became an alcoholic. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, like definitely like, and understand, I mean, <laughs> understandably, 
because yeah, well, I mean, yeah, there's all this. Yeah. The whole family, like you said, was sort of infected by stress this, and anxiety this and situation. Yeah, um, and I, and Brian was really messed up by all of this too, and not even because he was in on the lie, but just because he was also exposed to this weird experimental therapy of like being forced to do all this stuff with his twin sister. Yeah. Right. And then finding and then, out that his twin sister yeah, is his twin brother. Right. When you're 13, and that's a very like tender age as well for things like that to happen. That's definitely an age where things like that really stick. Right. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I can imagine. Um, I know like Brian like became like a horrible drug addict later in life mm -hmm. um, and died in 2002 after overdosing on antidepressants. Um, and David eventually at at 14 after finding all this out decided to go by the name david uh later underwent surgery to reverse the sex assignment decided to live as a man and it seemed like maybe this was going in like a happier direction because he found love married a woman named jane fontaine she had three children he adopted them he was finally allowed to actually explore the hobbies and interests that he had always wanted to but been discouraged from like camping and fishing and antiques coin collecting mm -hmm. um all of these things that again we were saying like were probably suppressed because they weren't seen as feminine right and now later yeah. in life he's able to like finally do all these things yeah. but the unfortunate thing is that it it sadly didn't work out um jane and david eventually divorced two days or two days after Jane told him she wanted to divorce, he drove to a grocery store parking lot, parked his car and uh, shot himself in the head with a sawed off shotgun at 38 years old. So, yeah, horrible ending to the whole. Yeah, it's story. really, really tragic. Yeah. And also, like, sadly, not totally unexpected, just given all the trauma he I mean, yeah. suffered in his Cause, life. Because yeah. it's not even I mean, we're talking over a decade of being told you're something you don't feel like you are mm -hmm. then finding out that your parents and this doctor have been lying to you and yeah. then also just the trauma of like the therapy itself and the weirdness of it all and the being yelled at and like yeah i think yeah. an interesting thing is like when money's study was published it was i think it was called like the joan john case yeah yeah pretty sure or, um, yeah jane john jane, or something yeah like that. but uh but the Reimers were not named and it was only later when David realized that his story was being used and money's research was being used to prove money's point that it was it was a nurture thing. It was a question of nurture and society that he came forward and told the story, went on Oprah and everything. Right. Which was very yeah. brave, but I'm sure that brought up a lot of stuff to go public like that. Oh, sure. I mean, he wouldn't have even talked about it until like the late 90s early 2000s so for a solid 20 years people were kind of living with this quote unquote proven perception that you could teach gender to somebody mm -hmm. yeah. which i'm sure like for people who uh, had gender dysphoria at the time that was like a really complicated supposed truth to come to terms with yeah um I, I i don't know factually about like any studies that have looked at that but i think it'd be really interesting to see like depression and like suicide rates among people with gender dysphoria between like the 1970s and now mm -hmm. as oh. our understanding of yeah. it i'm sure it was way higher but i don't but i don't know though because 
how many people even talked about it. Yeah. I mean, it's another like interesting part is that what money believed was like if someone if if an adult expresses like a gender that's not a gender identity that's not their like the gender their their sex they're born in, then that's okay. And then they should pursue that other gender. Right. And yet in this case, it's I'm trying to wrap my mind around it kind of it's like he almost did the opposite of yeah, what he was. I've preaching. seen people quote this case as anti-trans sentiment as well kind of twisting it saying like oh see they tried to transition this kid and it didn't work so obviously that doesn't work and i was like well no i think so far from yeah i think we're missing the point here here is like it's not that i mean one i I, you shouldn't force anyone to transition and there's this like ongoing lie in the media now in certain uh right-wing sections of the media Mm-hmm. The doctors are forcing children to transition, and that's just one blatantly untrue. Um, and two, that's a completely different thing that we're talking about. Like, we're not talking about they took somebody who wanted to transition, who felt that they weren't identifying with the gender that they are being. <sighs> How do you word this? We're not talking it's about. Not like- yeah, we're not talking about a man who doesn't feel like a man. Uh-huh. And saying, I think I identify more as a woman and mm-hmm. undergoing that process consensually. We're talking somebody who felt like they were a man, was forcibly transitioned to female, and then was like, whoa, this doesn't make sense. I don't feel this way. Like, we're talking about imposing a gender on somebody yeah. and not the surgery. Like, ignore the surgery, ignore all that stuff. Just talk about the imposed gender. And that's Mm -hmm. where it that's where that like this proves that trans isn't real falls apart, because when you take somebody who is trans and you impose a gender on them and they don't identify with that, that's exactly what happened here. And you can see the negative effects that has. Yeah. Am I making sense? Did I did I did my argument come around in the end? I think in a a roundabout way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I tend to ramble. but. No, definitely. I think this it's completely wrong to take David Reimer and say, look, this is any sort of anti-trans story. Right. He was born male. He identified that way strongly. Um, and any any attempts to change that just didn't work. Right. right. And so you can definitely draw parallels with someone who is maybe, you know, born in the wrong body and how strongly that sentiment is to them. and then their desires change and he didn't have any choice in the matter until later in his life. So yeah, you can't extrinsically change somebody's impression of themselves and how they feel and how they identify. And when you try and do that, it causes a lot of problems um, to their mental health to, I mean, just every component of their life. Right. Um, I'm trying to find this. Let's see. He said, this person said, who I think, let's see, what she, she wrote a biography. Money's position on the trans person was, I think, brilliant. He believed that if you were a biolog- biological male and believed yourself to be female, then it was an ide fix. It was so important to you as a person that could not be contradicted, which is interesting. I mean, that's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It's just so the the opposite of what seemed to happen in this case. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like he just wanted both things to be true i guess in a way that does make sense because 
he, you know, defined gender role and gender identity. So I think he saw that there was like, yeah, yeah, those were different things. And I guess that comes back to the first point we, or one of the first points uh, you brought up about like one of the reasons why these twins were fascinating to him was because they were so young. And he thought that was a opportunity to mold them one way or the other before society like right got in but yeah i mean because like i said there's no way he could have ethically ever done child experiments until this like seemingly for him golden opportunity landed in his lap but then yeah he kind of ended up just proving the opposite of his own point that you you can't teach somebody their own gender yes it's something more interior yeah I did find a quote, let's see, uh, from the Intersex Society of North America, and they kind of wrote about the case and everything, and they said, the case of David Reimer has been used by the proponents of the gender is born nature theory as proof that they are right. We like to point out that what the story of David Reimer teaches us most clearly is how much people are harmed by being lied to and treated in inhumane ways. I thought that was a really good point. Yeah. Um, Part of the great harm of this case was that he was lied to right and then that he was put through this thing with his doctor and that the trauma of that was like just compounded everything else that was also going on right yeah i mean even uh, yeah you even see that again with his brother mm-hmm. who was put through a lot of stuff as well and yeah yeah i don't know overall it's a really just a heart-wrenching story it's very sad it is it's it's tragic and it but it also like like you said you know it it's important, like now, right. this kind of story, as we have these discussions about gender and sex, and yeah, and we navigate those things as a society. Yeah, I know a few people who fall on the more conservative end of the line. Uh, surprise, I'm liberal, um, and we've had those. One of them, I won't name them uh, or my relationship to them, but one of these people said to me that being trans is a mental illness. And I immediately had to be mm-hmm. like, no. I said, if you want to get technical about it, gender dysphoria is a mental illness. But that doesn't mean that that person is crazy because mental illness is not its so much more complicated than that. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you have ADHD, if you're bipolar, it doesn't make you crazy. Gender dysphoria doesn't mm-hmm. make you crazy. It just means that you don't feel comfortable. So to me... And if, if I'm wrong on this, I'd love for somebody to correct me. But to, for, to me, gender dysphoria is the condition and transitioning is the solution or the treatment to that condition. Hmm. Like if you're depressed, you can take yeah. antidepressants, but you can't really take like make me feel like a man pills. But you yeah. can transition and you can present yourself the way you want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really important for people. And so it, yeah. it just it pisses me off when people say like trans people are mentally ill because it's like they're not. It's so much more complicated and nuanced than that. And I, we just need people just let people be happy and let people do the things that make them happy as long right. as no one else yeah. is getting hurt from it. You know, I, I feel like I can't really speak well on the trans experience or like at all, but I did read this. I feel like I'm always bringing up like books that I read. <laughs> That's fine. This one for my, oh, I think it's called We Both Laughed in Pleasure, but it's about a woman who transitioned to to be a man in the 70s or 80s. And it was like a really fascinating, it's her, their um, journals, uh, published journals. And like, it was a really fascinating educational 
book for me to read. So I thought it was great. And I'm giving it a plug here. Yeah. To uh, check that out because I thought it was just like a, being in someone's head like that helped like Definitely, inform yeah. my understanding of it. Yeah. I mean, that's why representation is so important in media and things as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, one of the worst things I heard recently was somebody say, every time I see pronouns in somebody's email, it makes me roll my eyes. I was like, why? Why? <laughs> oh, God forbid we treat people kindly, you know? It's so funny because when I went to college, which was like 10 years ago at this point, but I went to a very liberal college and we you started every class by saying your pronouns. Yeah. And that was before like everyone else started to, I guess. But now like I go to a running club and we all we all start by she, her, yeah. he, him, whatever. Like we all go around in the circle and like say it. And I mean, it's Brooklyn. So like, sure. You know, but, whatever, but I mean, why not? Right. Like it doesn't do you any harm to announce your pronouns or to know what somebody else's are mm-hmm. it, it all it all just comes down to like treating people with respect and dignity and like for some reason some people cling so strongly to the idea that we can't do that because of traditional values right and i think that's bs <laughs> yeah i mean i think we're in a very interesting time at the moment where these ideas are changing a lot and changing quickly and or maybe not even changing quickly but just getting more like more prominent airtime yeah. than they used to yeah yeah. Yeah. But that's hard. I mean, people change is hard for people and they react often aggressively yeah. against it. Yes. Yeah. I don't know where to end with this one. <laughs> I know it's hard because it's like, and that was a really sad, sad story. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if you know, if you pull any lesson out of it, it's just treat people kindly. Don't like right. don't force your whatever it is on somebody else. Your your religion, your personal beliefs, your opinions of their identity like we're all on this big floating rock through space together so let's just try and make the best (laughs) of it there we go yeah perfect yeah i mean we have a couple different posts about David Reimer up on the site now, um, which goes into a little bit more of the story there. You can learn a little bit more about it at allthisinteresting.com. We also have a newsletter up on the website. We're constantly publishing new stuff. You can join our newsletter by going to allthisinteresting.com slash sign up or becoming a member at allthisinteresting.com slash membership. Yes. Um, You can also write in to us. We actually uh i don't did you get the email we actually got someone who wrote in last time we did yeah no yeah um kit sent it over to me i'll forward it to you it was because i brought up having adhd on it Uh and somebody wrote in to say like that they appreciated us talking about it openly and not like it's some taboo thing which i thought was very nice that's cool yeah so, um, yeah, if anybody, if you want to write in, uh, you can do that at podcast at all this interesting dot com. Uh, let us know your thoughts on this episode, this this new format we're trying. Um, if you want to if you have experience that you can relate to this and you want to share, that's like, you know, we'd love to hear it. Definitely. And if you would rather call in, you can also do that. We uh, have a voicemail box set up and you can call at 929-526-3029. I think we'd love to hear from from people. Yeah. Always good to get new uh, opinions and experiences and perspectives on everything we talk about here. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, thanks for listening. 
recommend this podcast to your friends. Give us the old, you know, five star rating. Uh, leave comments. That'll, <laughs> all that social media jazz. All that jazz. Yeah. Find us on TikTok at Real History Uncovered. All the, you know, usual marketing stuff there at the end to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, all we want is for you to like say hello. Yeah. We would love that. Yeah. Just pop in, say hello. Yeah. Pop in, say hello. And until next time, I can't remember what the next, it's not the Olympics. It is the Olympics. The 1904 oh. Olympic marathon. I have to say it's a much more lighthearted story than <laughs> today's show. It's the <laughs> one after that. The one after that's the exploding whale. <laughs> that's right. I'm lighthearted except for the whale. It was already dead in. when it washed yeah, up. Still. So that's, it's not like they killed the whale. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, we'll talk to you next time for, uh, for those for those uh, podcasts. Yeah, ta-ta for now. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.